Thank you so much, Samantha Day and Dale, for blessing us today with that beautiful song, Via Dolorosa, which does mean the way of suffering. Thank you for that powerful word that connects so well to the passage that we're going to focus upon today in Matthew in John chapter 19, John chapter 19. We have been talking also about international missions. Brother Tim opened our service with a video about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that international missions emphasis that focuses, of course, this time of year because uh, this is when we have set aside the time to focus on it and to pray for it and all in honor of a woman named Lottie Moon, international board missionary who served in China for decades before passing away. So that begins with my opening illustration that Southern Baptists were shocked years ago when they found out that Lottie Moon was baptized by the Mormons in 1959. You may not know that, but a distant relative of Lottie Moon named Virgilia Pulland went into the temple in Salt Lake City and was baptized on behalf of Lottie Moon, the former Southern Baptist missionary, because she believed, as she had been taught, that you can be baptized in place of or in the stead of someone already deceased and it gives them a second chance into the celestial kingdom. And so the priest who baptized her said, I lay my hands upon you uh, on behalf of Charlotte Diggs Moon, which was Lottie Moon's name, so that she might have that second chance to enter the celestial palace. Well, that may strike you as somewhat odd, doesn't it? Now, my brother was a Mormon, some of you know that, so I'm somewhat familiar with those practices. But it was a mistaken belief in a false theology. Because here's the point. Charlotte Diggs Moon, Lottie Moon, did not need a second chance. And the act that our text tells us about today tells us why she was secured in her salvation and did not need a second chance. And listen carefully to me today. I don't care. If you're a Baptist or a Buddhist, a Muslim or a Methodist, a Catholic or a, people get confused with this one, Confucianist, which means following the ways of Confucius, Chinese religion, or if you're a Presbyterian or a Protestant or a pagan, the only act that can secure your salvation is about which we read today. So turn as we study this great act of sacrifice explained to us in John 19, beginning with verse 17. John 19, beginning with verse 17. Those of you that are new, and we have first-time guests, as we do every week, for which we're grateful. I've been preaching through the gospel of John now for a long time. And we're coming close, friends, to the end. Close. We're not there yet. A few more months, we'll be there. That's right. So look with me to John 19, beginning with verse 17. We pick up where we left off last week. Carrying his own cross, he went out to what is called Skull Place, which in Hebrew is called 
Golgotha. By the way, in Latin, it is Calvary. So he goes out to the place called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign lettered and put up on the cross. The inscription was, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign. But the place where Je- because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. But that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus... They took his clothes, divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. They said to one another, let's not tear it, but toss for it or gamble for it to see who gets it. They did this to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. And this is what the soldiers did. Verse 25, standing by the cross of Jesus. By the way, there were four women and one man. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, who do you think that might be? John. When they saw Jesus, uh, when when. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing there. He said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Wow. What an event. What a momentous event. What an event that changed all of history. What an event from which and by which we even changed the way we deem time from B.C. to A.D., from before Christ and the year of our Lord. This event signaled the end of the reason Jesus came into this world for which we celebrate at Christmas. And so soon we'll begin focusing more on the Christmas story. But today I want us to continue even in this text. First of all this morning, look with me at the events of this particular day. Look with me at the events. Now remember, we had already seen that Jesus was tried before Annas and Caiaphas. And then he was taken up north into the northwest part of Jerusalem where he was tried by Herod and Pilate, primarily by Pilate. And now the verdict has come. He is to be crucified. The verdict has been handed down. Remember that Pilate had asked those present, would you choose Barabbas or would you choose Jesus? And they chose to let Barabbas go. And they began shouting, we have no king but Caesar. What a terrible thing for them to say. I wonder if that's what some people said during our election back in November. We have no king We're not going to do the way of God. We're going to go the way of the world. Well, don't want to get in politics too much. It comes out of me sometimes. 
But let me tell you, Jesus was taken to be crucified. It was a horrible thing. Even Cicero, the Roman philosopher and statesman, said it was the most cruel and shameful of all executions. And he said, let not it ever come to the body of a Roman. Crucifixion had its origin before the Romans. In fact, it began with the Persians and the Phoenicians. But the Romans made special use of it. But it was used only for the worst of the Roman criminals. And so that was chosen, of course, for our Lord Jesus. It was a horrible execution. It left the victim just hanging for hours and hours as every part of their body screamed out in pain. It was awful. And while we glorify the cross, we look at it and we look upon it with great joy, it was an object of shame, of degradation, of pain. Now we look through the text and we see that Jesus was taken away, carrying his cross. Look at verse 17. He went out to what is called Skull Place. He walked along that road. It's about a mile in length from the place of sentencing to the place of execution, which is north of town. It was that way called the way of suffering, the Via Dolorosa. And if you go to Israel with me or anyone, they will take you along the road that pretty much matched the road where Jesus went out the north side of the city to be crucified. It was about a mile long, as I've said, and there he struggled. Perhaps it was because of the floggings that he had already endured, causing him to lose a great deal of, of fluid and blood. He was weak. But we know that Simon was called upon to help him carry his cross, maybe because of his weakness. Maybe also because we know bearing the cross was a mark of guilt in our Lord Jesus was not guilty. But Simon of Cyrene was drafted to help come help Jesus carry that heavy cross all the way to Skull Hill. Well, we also know not only was he required to wear or uh, to bear his cross, Simon helped with that, but we also know a placard was usually placed upon the head of the victim to indicate the crime for which he was being executed. And in this instance, we know it was written in three languages. Jesus was given the title. What was the title? Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. The Jewish leaders opposed that. Why don't you just say he said it? We don't believe it, so don't put that up there. But Pilate, wanting to get one last jab into the leaders, said, I have written what I have written. And so that title stayed up there. It was written in Hebrew, which by the way was the uh, spoken language of the day. It was the language of religion. It was written in Greek, which was the language of philosophy. It was also written in Latin, which is the language of the law. Some people believe it was written in those three languages also because it was the Passover time, and people from all over the known world would have walked by to see this man crucified, and they could understand in their language what he had done. Jesus of the Nazarene. Jesus, the King of the Jews. But others who want to see it in a more spiritual light would say, 
It's because Jesus died for the whole world that it was written in all of those different languages. He was taken out to that place called Skull Hill, Skull Place in Hebrew. What is it called? Golgotha. I told you in Latin it is called Calvary. And we have some songs and we've written about Calvary all these years. I've got a couple of pictures or at least one picture. I don't remember if it was one or two. If you'd show those for us, Brother Kirk. I want just to show you the place of this hill. It's hard to see. But I don't know if you can see on the kind of the right-hand side, there are two holes into the hillside. It would have looked like a skull. It's a limestone cliff. Look at it just a little while longer. I find it fascinating. I've been there so many times, I can't even remember how many times I've been. In fact, if you'll turn around, you can see it on the back screen even better than the one is on the front screen. But if you'll see on the top, you'll see a kind of a structure at the top. See that? It's a Muslim graveyard. All right? And you can't quite see it on the picture, but to the right of the picture is a Muslim mosque and a minaret. Why do I believe this is the place of Golgotha? A lot of reasons. It's north of the city. It's outside the city gates. Both of those required in Old Testament law for the execution to take place. It's also a part of the substrata that went over into Jerusalem that would have made a part of what's called Mount Moriah. Do you remember what happened on Mount Moriah? It's now a Muslim mosque, but it's where Abraham offered up his son. And it was a part of Mount Moriah where Jesus offered up his son. It also looked like a place of the skull. Another reason why? Because the Muslims defiled it with a graveyard. Don't you know when the Muslims took over the Holy Land, they're going to find the best place they believe Jesus was crucified to defile it with a graveyard? It's yet another reason why I believe this was the place. Now it was a rock quarry in Jesus' day. They had dug out those rocks to use in building the city. There was a main road that went north out of the city. So maybe Jesus was crucified on top of the hill. We don't know. Or maybe he was crucified at the bottom of the hill so that people that went by on the road could see it more clearly. I don't know exactly where he was crucified. Now we sing songs, you remember? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. We sing about the hill, and this was the hill. And so there he is crucified, not by himself. He's crucified with two notorious thieves. And the Bible tells us that this added to the shame. But by the way, that fulfilled Isaiah 53, 12, which says he was numbered with the transgressors. You read the text, it says there in verse 18, he was cruci crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the middle. And we know from another gospel text, the beautiful dialogue between at least one of them and our Lord Jesus. But it says in verse 23 and following that even the soldiers who were there, usually it would have been one centurion and four uh, enlisted men. 
They gambled for his clothing. And by the way, in gambling for his seamless robe, this also fulfilled yet another messianic text, Psalm 22:18, which tells us that they even gambled for his clothes. That is quoted there in our John passage. Other gospel writers tell us that when the people walked by, they reviled the Lord Jesus. They made fun of him. They poked fun at him. They probably threw stones and rocks at him because they did that so much. But among the crowd who stood with him, stood by him, even to the bitter end, the Bible says, was one disciple and four women. Women, God bless you. It must have taken a lot of courage for these women to stand by the Lord Jesus. And who were these women? First of all, his mother Mary. Oh, by the way, in the Gospel of John, now we know Mary was involved in his birth, right? But in the Gospel of John, the first time we see Mary is at a wedding, and now she is getting ready for a burial. Then there is another Mary. Uh, There's her sister Salome, who was the mother of James and John. And then we see Mary, the mother of Clopas. And we see a fourth woman whose name was Mary Magdalene. A woman who had been set free by the Lord Jesus in so many ways. Oh, my friends, what a beautiful scene. As they ministered to Jesus, even in his dying hours, they didn't want him to be alone, though he felt so alone. Standing by the cross, verse 25, were all these persons. And look at the beautiful dialogue toward the end of the passage. As Jesus, even though he is dying for the sins of the whole world, he still has the responsibility of a son. And he says, John, take care of my mama. Mama John will take care of you. For a woman in that day and time without a protector was in bad, bad place. John, take care of my mother. And from that very hour, the Bible says, she went into the home of the beloved disciple John himself. Jesus was crucified. Jesus died that day. He underwent the most horrible, the most terrible of deaths. Not only because of the extreme pain pain and punishment, but because upon his shoulders was heaped the sins of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room, past, present, and future. So we look at the events, but second and last and quickly, let's just pause for a moment and think about the meaning as I've just begun talking about it. Look at its meaning. Now, if you study theology, and some of you have, some of you do, and I did and I do, in the Ph.D. program, which I finished long before dirt was made, long ago, I took an entire year of study on the person and work of Christ. And it basically was a a systematic theology, Christology class on the theories of the atonement. And so we studied all kinds of things about penal substitution. And we studied all kinds of words like satisfaction theory and the moral influence theory and the vicarious dying theory and... uh, penalty theory and the victory theory, on and on and on. You can study and study and study. But I like it just a little more personal. 
Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, as he loved so long ago, taking children on his knee, saying, let them come to me. Jesus loves me still today, walking with me on my way, wanting as a friend to give light and love to all who live. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gates to open wide. He will wash away my sins. Let his little child come in. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. One more verse. Jesus loves me. He will stay close beside me all the way. He's prepared a home for me. And someday his face I'll see. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Yes, it does, doesn't it? Personalize it for me today. Jesus came at Christmas time to die for you and me. Look at a couple of scriptures that say it better than any song written in 1859 or any sermon preached in 2020 could ever say it. We see 1 Peter 3.18. What does it say? For Christ died for sins once for all. Lottie didn't mean a second chance. You and I don't need a second chance, do we? For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, that's him. For the unrighteous, that's me. To bring us to God. And then Romans 5.8 beautifully says, For God demonstrated his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look with me at this last phrase. What Jesus did, he did for you and me. Say this out loud with me, would you please, this morning. What Jesus did, he did for you and me. It was a moment of shame in history, but a moment that led to our eternal life. Do you believe that? I do. I do. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And what we've read about today in John 19 confirms it, doesn't it? Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I come thanking you for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thanking you for the price that was paid. For the fact that nobody needs a second chance. We, we've got a first chance that's quite sufficient. And Lord, I pray every man, woman, boy, and girl today would take that chance. Take that chance and say yes to Jesus today. Oh, Father, I pray that we would say yes to you in salvation, in submission. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're